listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. And uh, I should I guess I should say welcome back to me. Yes. Because I I was MIA last week. Can I just start off with the question for this week's show? Yeah, go for it. What's the question? <laughs> where, where the hell were you, Bart? <laughs> That's, That's a fair question. You know You know what? I have to admit, too, I, I prioritized that question above all others this week. Yeah, because you were asking it yourself. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, usually we communicate quite well, but I didn't hear from you at all last week, and that was weird. No, and I dropped, I mean, like... I mean, I've dropped out of sight for people before at different times. I, I I don't think I've ever fallen off the edge of the earth like I did last week. Right. Like I texted you. I emailed you. Nothing. Nothing. Nobody could reach me. No. No. Here's the thing is that, you know, I mean, I've talked about my mother-in-law at various points in the in this show before. Uh, and, and I think, you know, and I, I think probably everybody know, knew that about a month ago, she she died. Um, can I can I just interrupt? I don't, I don't think most people knew that. Like really I, I, okay, yeah, because I got questions about it. I, I didn't know myself, and so yeah, so she died, and and I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it is this weird thing where, you know, she came to stay with us at Christmas, and I mean, she, she's eighty, she was eighty nine, and she came to stay with us, and and my sister in law Mary was here. And it was, it became really clear, really fast that mom was overwhelmed by being in a different space. And she was supposed to stay a week. And after about four days, we just said, Hey, we just put her in the car and drove her home uh, 10 hours back to Menominee. And she was never happier to leave anywhere than she was to leave our house. Not because she didn't like being here, but because her mind was starting to not work for her. Um, and she was she she'd been struggling with memory and things like that, but she, in this case, she was just overwhelmed with panic and uh, difficulty. And as soon as we got her back home and in her own familiar surroundings, she settled down somewhat. But there was there was a, a, it was clear to us that we needed to get her into a different kind of care. And mm. we spent the next few months trying to get the right caregivers coming and going on the right schedule because her obsession was. I want to stay in my house. I don't want to go into some care facility. I don't want to come live with one of my kids. I love where I live. I love how I live. I want to stay here. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, and she had been saying for years, like, if I don't wake up some morning, I'm fine with that. Like, I've had a great life. I've loved and been loved. I've seen all sorts of beautiful stuff. I, I, I life owes me nothing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy if if I wake up, but if I don't, don't worry. Um, but after we got her back from Christmas, it became a much more, I'm really ready to be done. Um, and at one point she, she, she was sort of saying to Marty and I that she would, these waves of fear would come over her and, and they would just be debilitating. And it was sort of like, almost like being tortured once or twice, a, once or twice a day, where even when you're not being tortured, you spend the rest of the day worried about what you know is coming. Right. And, uh, and the thing she was scared about when it came to the future was she was terrified of her body 
long outliving her mind and of being sort of there but not there. And she was desperate for that not to happen, but, you know, felt very powerless. Um, I mean, these are some crazy conversations to be having, too, in a way. Like, it sounds like she was articulating a lot of this stuff. She was. I mean, we we all, she, I mean, she was a grand, grand old woman. I mean, she was a very, very, she was a reader and a thinker and a reflector and a lover. And uh, I mean, I mean, she she's by far the most significant person in my life that I've lost. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm 55 years old and, you know, I, I had never had a loss like this one. Hmm. Um, because she was this, this person who we really talked about everything. And I mean, you know, even the Christian thing, you know, she is a minister's wife. She, 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 she church woman all her life, but n no one was more supportive of Marty and my transition out of Christianity into humanism and had more questions and read my book and watched the movie and wanted to talk about everything. And she would say, listen, you know, I don't know if Christianity is true. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure at all about it. She said, I, I, but I've come this far and I like my church and I like this lifestyle and I'm just going to, I'm going to ride it through to the end. And if it's not true, it's okay with me. This life has mm -hmm. been fine. Right. Um, and, Interesting. Uh, and yeah, an and incredibly uh, thoughtful person. But yeah, as we got to the end, she talked a lot about dying and uh, what it what it meant. And and how how old was she? She was eighty nine. Okay. And and so uh, towards the end, the the fear was so great. And at one point, she just you know, I said to her, "Hey, you know, Miranda's going to be out there. We're going to come up there with the baby this summer." And she said, "Oh, Bart, I hope I'm not here." She said, as much as I would love to meet my great granddaughter, I, I just, I need to be done. I just, I need to be done. And in the end, she decided to stop eating and drinking, knowing that if she stopped eating and drinking, the end would come faster for her. Wow. And uh, it, it was a very courageous decision as far as I was concerned. Um, and, and the interesting thing about it was, is that, my, my sister-in-law, Mary, went out to be with her um, at the end and said, like, I'm going to stay here as long as it takes. And Mary told me later, she said, that was one of the best weeks of our life. You know, mom's fear evaporated once she knew that the, that the thing she was terrified of wasn't going to happen. Once she felt like she had control, um, she wasn't afraid anymore. And she talked to everybody on the phone, talked to my kids, you know, asked, she had questions for everybody. Tell me, she wanted an update on everything. Um, she was voracious for connection all the way, but she was also kind of at peace. And, uh, and so when my sister-in-law called that night and said, mom's gone, you know, Marty and I, you know, we, we cried and, and we, we dealt with it, but like, we weren't, you know, everything that needed to have been said was said, uh, you know, and she died on her own terms. Like we were happy for her. I, I was genuinely happy for her. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I think I thought that we had grieved, all, you know, all the way up to that moment. And in that moment, and, you know, we had a hard day the next day, but we got on with things and we planned 
we thought it would be best to wait a month and go up there and because that way everybody could be there and the, all the siblings and the aunts and uncles and we could close down the house. And we went on with our lives. And, and it wasn't until last week when we drove up for the service and we drove into town that it hit us. And like a ton of bricks. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's almost like just a realization. Yeah, and, and, and a realization that not only was mom gone, but that that town, I mean, her house has been the central location, like the most steady piece of geography in my life for the last 30 years. You know, that's the only house my kids ever knew her in. You know, that's where we always went back to. We used to spend, you know, for about 10 years when the kids were little, Marty would rent a house on the lake near my, you know, or, or, you know, a couple blocks away from my mom's house, a little, a little beach shack. And the kids and her would stay there for six or eight weeks every summer. That was where they lived. Right. And right, I would come right. and go from there. I mean, that little town, that was like a big part of our life. And so we're yeah. driving in past, you know, Perks Hardware and, you know, the serving spoon and going like, oh, we're not coming back here. Like, this is the Crazy. end of an era for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you got to the house and mom wasn't there, but her chair was. And just, you walk in that space and you have 30 some odd years of memories and I mean, every moment that we were there, I was like, I could picture her standing there. I can remember her laughing there. I, I, that's where she did her Sudoku. I mean, the Sudoku was still sitting on the table next to her chair. Um, and so it just hit us like a ton of bricks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's weird. And then, and then the, the, the memorial service was unbelievably wonderful, mm-hmm. you know. But it was also unbelievably like full of people and all sorts of weird relationships and, you know, Marty's siblings are there and, you know, whatever is going on. And, and, and so, I mean, it was amazing. Like I, I emceed the hour before the service where we just had a story time. And I love that idea. Oh, it was amazing. Cause it really set the character of her, but you know, for an hour, just one person after another got up and told wonderful stories, funny stories. Um, Mostly stories of ways in which she had lovingly touched their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the same themes emerged. People talked about how much she loved her book group and how much she loved to read and how she was always asking you, what were you reading? And people talked about her work with Habitat for Humanity. And people talked about her garden and the way she mowed her lawn and how cantankerous she was if, if you messed with her kitchen. And, you know, there were, there were all these themes that just emerged. But, um, but it was beautiful. Um, and my, my beautiful, daughter told, but, but hard, like it's, it's closure. Oh yeah. I mean, my daughter told this story, um, that, that when she, when, when she was little, she would always go to my, as a young woman, she would always go to my, my, my mom, mother-in-law's house and she would run around the house and count the number of pictures there were of her and make sure that there were more pictures of her at the house than anyone else. Cause she wanted to be the favorite. And she, it was a joke between her and mom, like that she would come in and, and, and go around the house looking for the pictures. So she said, you know, one year I got there, I was about 17 years old and I started walking around the house and I realized that she had taken all the pictures out of the frames and put my picture in every frame in her house. 
<laughs> and they just they just laughed. But the, <laughs> it was such a mom thing to do. But the other thing was, you know, I ended up thinking like, that's kind of who she was. Like whoever she was with at that moment, she made you feel like you were her favorite. Right. You were the, you were the only person that mattered. And, um, but you know, when it was all said and done, then we had to go back to the house and the next day start packing it up and taking stuff. And that was hard. It was really hard. And it was basically Marty's sister, Mary, Marty and me, and her sister, Gil, her sister, Sarah, and, and her husband, Gil, five of us kind of did the, the lion's share of it. And it was just, you know, the last night when it was all packed up and we just, you know, sat around and kind of told stories and hugged each other and were sad. And, uh, and I realized that in many ways, you know, I spent 30 years being a really good son-in-law, like working hard at that. That was like a part of my identity and I'm nobody's son-in-law anymore. And Marty's nobody's daughter. And that's kind of part of who you are. And right. you, you know, you're old enough to know that. Um, it's funny because my like Miranda was there with our little granddaughter, Maya. And she, of course, was just medicine to everybody. Um, she, you know, and, 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 and a shield of protection around Marty when she didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, she got, I got to take care of the baby. But, uh, but, you know, the poignancy of, of having this new life, saying hello to Maya and, and saying goodbye to Edna, it was, it was a lot, you know, it's the real circle of life thing. And, um, and so then, you know, when it was all said and done, we loaded up the car with all the stuff and we brought it home and even unloading the car, you know, you're bringing in mom's rocking chair, which she always wanted you to have. And you're like, I don't want this to be here. It doesn't want, belong here. I want this to be back in Menominee with her sitting in it. Right. You know, right. so you, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, the next day when we got home, I, for the next three days, I, we couldn't move. I, I mean, I could barely get off the couch. I mean, I'm so, I'm still, I'm so tired. Right. And like, you know, again, like you would call, other people would write. I, I didn't answer anything. I, I couldn't move. I, I've just never experienced that kind of grief before. Yeah. I mean, uh, I haven't either. And so, you know, I'm listening, but it's not like I can identify. Um, I can identify with the feelings that you're, that you're saying. It's, it's, that's a crazy thing. And it, it does go to, it goes to identity. It goes to identity, like you said. And I think that's why it's so taxing that, yeah, it affects your physical body, affects yeah. everything. And, you know, and, and, you know, I just, when the more vivid somebody is to you, I mean, the more you just missed them. I mean, we got home, our next door neighbor brought over some kale he had grown and gave it to us. And my first thought was, oh, mom would have thought that was so cool. She, Cause she was always growing stuff and giving it to people and getting stuff from neighbors. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had, she had a lot of people that loved her up there and she was, there was always somebody stopping by to give her some. And she, and you know, it's just like everything, you know, for, I mean, it's like everything reminds me of my mom right now. My mom yeah. Mama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, that explains it. That explains where you were. Yeah. I, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just dropping out of sight, but it was, it was when you know, you should be, well, you know, I, I, what I should be is a guy who has five podcasts in the can so that if I drop out of sight, we can play one. I just love um, the idea of after that whole thing, me just still being a dick about it, you know? <laughs> well, you know, the, the other funny thing is, I mean, I felt guilt because I'm like, you know, there are people that, that support this show 
via Patreon. Like they, they put money in like so that we'll produce a podcast. And then I just, I just didn't produce a podcast. Well, we're making up for it this week with explaining to them where you were. And, you know, I guess um, my question is this, and, and this was the thought I had when, when we connected earlier today. When you, th I didn't know what was going on with you, but now that I hear you articulate it, I can, you know, I, I, you very much bring me and the listeners into your world. It makes me wonder how many people are walking around us all the time with all these sort of like crazy life changing things going on. And because we're not necessarily hearing it from their point of view, or like they can't let us in. Some people also are not as articulate or, you know, you could ask them how they are and, and they'll tell you a, a version that w you won't necessarily connect with the same way. Just makes me wonder these inner worlds of other people, you know, they can be pretty opaque sometimes. Yeah. Marty said to me that she feels like she's a different person now. And I, I don't know how permanent that will be. I, I suspect it may be, but that it's almost like this thing has marked her or changed her. And she said one of the ways that she, she just feels different. And she said, you know, we were driving down the street and she was looking at people on the corner and she said, I find myself wondering you know, what they might be going through, what maybe they have gone through if they've lost somebody this way, um, mm -hmm. this close way. And th that changes the, your understanding of how the world works. It changes your understanding of what, what you can, of, of the way in which time just keeps marching on. Like losing that town, losing that part of our lives, like that's a memory now. It's just like, Time, when you're a little kid, you think you're changing, but it feels like the world stays the same around you. You know, you, 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 you're like, I can't wait till I can drive. I can't wait till I'm older. You know, I'm like a grownups, but the grownups seem like they're fixed. And, and something like this lets you know, like, oh no, everything's moving. Everything's changing all the time. You can't Nothing slow static. it down. It's relentless. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that knowledge that you always have intellectually at a certain point, but, but Marty's like, now she knows. And she was like looking out of the car and going like, I wonder how many people other, how many other people know this and how many people right might be in their moment of grief right now. And, uh, it's interesting because, you know, people have been great to us. Our, our, our close people here are people, people are part of our, our little fellowship here and our friendship circle here in Cincinnati. Um, They've been amazing. Um, you know, we, we, we had that experience where, you know, Kelly comes over with the, uh, with the Epsom salts and the, and the bottle of wine and some cheese and, and some comfort food. And it's like, here you go. Beautiful. I'm leaving. I just want to drop this off. And we had, a, we had a number of people that really, you know, so sent, nice. sent the right messages and did the right things. Um, so it's, it's, it, that, that's been really beautiful. Um, but in that process, um, you, you become aware that different people handle this stuff different ways. 
And I, I, I didn't know how it was going to affect me. I, I mean, I was a stud while we were up there. I was, I was moving stuff and taking care of business and taking care of other people and looking out for people. I mean, I poured myself up while we were up in Menominee. And then, it, right, and well, then which, is e- which is easier to do when you're in forward motion. Right. And then I just got, and then like it all ran out. And normally, like, you know, you give yourself and then you like, you get a good night's sleep and you're like, okay, I'm back at it. Like, at mm-hmm. least I am. I, you know, I had never been wiped out like this. And so. Yeah. You told me that you basically didn't, like, you hardly got out of bed for a couple of days. Oh, like, yeah. you're just down. We just, we're just sort of zombies. And we're, you know, and, and talking with each other. Um, right. But, but in the midst of all that, um, I think I'm aware that not everybody grieves the same way. And so um, it was funny because I think that that's the thing that I'm most aware of right now. If you say like, what did you learn? And I think I, I, I think I learned that, that there are, that there, I, I, I got in touch with a, a different level of gravity. Uh, or gravitas or whatever, like that there's a weight of certain experiences that I think I, you know, and I've, I've grieved with a lot of people, right? right? You know, I, 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 I've been told I'm pretty good in a crunch, you know, like I'm a good guy to have around when things are are hurting. And, and if that's true at all, it's more a function of having a good imagination than it was of having a, a, a real understanding. Um, Does this change now how you feel about the way you grieve with people, with other people? I, I would hope so. I mean, like, like again, like I've tried my best to to to, to imagine and and I and I've learned and studied from experts, like what are the appropriate things to say and do. And so sometimes, you know, if you do the appropriate things, even if you don't necessarily know why they're the appropriate things. You know, it's almost like, you know, you, you when you're following the YouTube instructions for how to, you know, treat a, a home, a home remedy thing. You don't know why it works. You just, oh yeah, it actually feels better. And yeah. so I think like, I feel like I've been pretty careful to try to, to try to do that stuff. And, and, you know, in this podcast and in other places, we're trying to give each other tips. We're trying to help each other out in terms of figuring out like, what can we learn from experts so that we can be more effective lovers of each other, how, how, how we can care for the people in our relationships, you know, and, and in our little humanist fellowship in tonight, we, we, we do, you know, we do whole Sunday mornings that are about like, how do we handle each other when we're in grief? How do, how do we care for each other that way? Yeah. But yeah, I I think it's it's got to be different once you know how it feels on the inside. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I you know, so I, I hope it changes some of that. But but I think that the other thing is, is it really makes me aware you got to be careful with that golden rule stuff when you're when you're in a situation of high gravity. Because you know, the golden rule says, you know, do unto others as you would have them as you would have them do unto you, or, you know, don't do anything right. to anyone else. That, and the truth of the matter is, is that it's a real, you can get in a lot of trouble treating other people the way you'd like to be treated because other people aren't like you. They might like to be, it, what, what feels good to you might not feel good to them. And when you would want a hug, they would like not to be touched. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
You know, it's a very human mistake to assume that other people think and feel the way we do. Introverts do it with extroverts and vice versa. You know, emotional people oriented. Some people are emotional and people oriented. Other people are logical and task oriented. And like what they need in a moment of crisis is different. People, yeah. you know, I remember that book that, that you circulated around the church a few years ago about the love languages, the five love languages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and kind of the basic principle of the, of, of, of that book was, you know, some people is, is that we have a tendency to love other people in that active way, to care for other people, to give them what we would want in that situation. And what, when, when, what we ought to do is to give them what they want in that situation. Right. And that the surest way to figure out the kind of love another person wants to get is to pay close attention to the kind of love that they give. That's good. You know, that, 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 uh, so, so like, so I, I'm trying to remember what the five love languages were. Like one was words of affirmation. One was quality time. One was acts of service. One was gifts. And one was physical touch. There you go. And so, and, and you can already see, like, you go like, there's some people that gifts mean a lot to them. And there are other people that like, they don't give gifts. They don't really, they don't really get excited about gifts. That's me. But boy, if, if you spend some time with them, they want to, they want to like, or, or, or if you, if you tell them how much you love them, it means a lot. And other people like the words don't mean anything. The question is, did you show up and help me mow my lawn when I was, when I broke my leg? Mm-hmm. Did you serve me? You know, or did you make me food? You know, so, so different people have different love languages. And the idea is, is, you know, it's funny. I have a friend who calls it the platinum rule. He says, the golden rule is do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. The platinum rule is treat other people the way they want to be treated. <laughs> That's good. It is good. It's an improvement. You know, I, I've been messing around with it, um, both before I went up there, you know, before the more search, but especially since I got back. And I've realized that in order to be good to people when they're under that kind of pressure, you you need two things. You, you need some information. You know, you need to have observed them and and know something about them. And, and you need some imagination. You need to you need to be able to like extrapolate a little bit and go like, okay, based on what I know, and then you need to imagine how they might be feeling in this situation. And sometimes you have to take a chance and venture something forth. Um, but you need some imagination. You, you, you know, ultimately, you, you've got to observe and ask questions and ask other people about the person that you're trying to, to love and care for so that you know what you're, what you're into. But then you have to do that whole thing where they, you know, they say like, walk a mile in their shoes. Right. You have to climb in there and sort of ask yourself like, okay, based on what I know, if I was that person, what would I want? Which is very different than saying, what would I want? But rather sort of go like, ah, given what I know about them, what do I, th- what might they want in this situation? What might feel good to them, which might be very different than what might feel good to me. You know, that's been, you know, I, th- I think that coming out of this, I'm sort of like the more aware I am of how tectonic, how, how monumental some, some life changes are for people. I'm like, boy, we've got to be. If we want to be good lovers, we're going to have to stop and set aside some time to like sit and think about the person that we're trying to love. 
Right. What's what's going on with them? Who are they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. I, I mean, as soon as, as you know, I, I, I thought about this because, you know, in the, in the little humanist gang here in Cincinnati, we had done this thing about the golden rule, you know, last, uh, some, some time ago. And, uh, and we, the, the, you know, sometimes I give the talk and in this case I gave the shortest little talk, but then one of the other um, people in the group came up and they led us through, I, I, it, it was kind of like a guided meditation, but it was really more of a thought exercise. And, and what it was is, you know, cause, cause the, 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 the point of my little talk was if you want to love people, you have to think. You have to like, like in the same way that like in, in Christianity, we used to stop and set aside time to pray for people. Like, like if you want to love people, you actually have to meditate on them. You have to think about them. You have to do some research. You have to get some information, but then you have to use your imagination. And so we ended up coming up with like this thought exercise for thinking about other people. And, um, and it occurred to me after I talked to you this morning that when I knew we were going to do this show, you know, I, I pulled it up and I, I don't know if, if you think it would be appropriate, but like a part of me is just like, maybe that's the way we should end this podcast is like, if there's any application to this experience for me, it's, you know, wanting to encourage people to be more thoughtful in the way that they love other people. And, you know, maybe this is just a tool we could share. Yeah. No, I, I do think that. I think it'd be the perfect way to end. Um. And so is this, what what you're going to read, is that what you did on the morning? Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, there were like, there were like 10, you know, 10 or 15 of us sitting in a room and mm -hmm. my friend Adam got up and he, he basically carried us through this kind of step-by-step -step thought process. Cool. And what do people do? Do they close their eyes during this or do they just sit there or yeah, are I mean, they looking at something? It's funny. Like the, the first thing it says is find a comfortable posture. Like that's the first direction. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think we should do it. Okay. And and, and uh, thanks for sharing, man. I, I It's good to know you're okay. It's good to know you're kind of back. It sounds like you're still very much in the middle of this in the sense of like processing all of this stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's like you say, I like that word gravity because I think it, it sounds to me like I, I can, I mean, I can understand that word as it relates to this. Like, this is just a big monumental event and you're responding to it in, in the only way you know how yeah, to do. And it, and it changes you. And it, it changes, changes you. you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So hopefully on the outro of the podcast, it'll tell all the things about like how you get in touch and yeah, all that and stuff. Yeah. And we'll be back yeah. next week. Yeah. All right. And we'll be back next week and, and probably have more energy. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> your energy is fine, yeah. my brother. Oh, thanks. Thanks. All right. So, so anyway, here's this thing. And, and, you know, probably some of, some of our gang's going to, going to say like, ah, I don't want to do that. But I'm, I'm telling you, like, if you want a tool for being a good lover, this is one of the best ones that I've come across recently. So I'm just going to, I'll take it from the top. Find a comfortable posture. Close your eyes. Notice any internal sensations that may be arising in your body right now. You may notice the beating of your heart, the feelings of pulsing energy. Remind yourself that you're not bringing just any awareness to this moment. 
you're bringing an intentionally loving and kind awareness. Slowly make a physical gesture that represents this caring attitude, perhaps by putting a hand on your heart or gently squeezing your own leg. Notice how your body responds to this physical touch. Take a few deep breaths, big inhalations and big exhalations. Pay particular attention to the inhalations and notice that as you breathe in, you're giving yourself what you need in this moment. You're nurturing yourself with each in-breath. If you are struggling in some way right now, imagine yourself breathing in whatever quality that you need. Kindness, patience, security, self-confidence. Take in this quality, whatever it is, with each inhalation. Perhaps there's a word that rests easily on each in-breath, a word that represents what you need. Or perhaps it's more general, like the warmth of sunlight or a soft resting place. Allow yourself to really receive something good for yourself with each inhalation. Slowly shift your attention to your exhalations, noticing that as you breathe out, you send something of yourself into the world. You're changing the atmosphere ever so slightly just by being here. Think of a quality you would like to share with the people around you at this moment. Comfort, strength, healing, hope. Breathe out that quality with each exhalation. Feel yourself gently offering something positive. Now, as you continue to breathe, let your mind's eye leave this place that you're sitting and search for someone you care about or maybe someone you'd like to care about in a better way. Picture that person and silently pronounce their full name. Now decide for yourself if you're willing to spend a few minutes thinking about that person in a careful, generous way. If not, don't worry. Just set that person aside, perhaps for another time, and choose someone else. Once you've settled on someone, silently say their name again and take another deep breath.
Now think about where and how you met this person and try to recall your first impression. Review a few things you might know about them. Where was this person born? What kind of family did they grow up in? What sort of childhood did they have? If you don't know the answers to these questions, don't worry. Just think about how you might find those answers out. Who might you ask? Now consider some other important things you may have learned, imagined, or completely overlooked since that first meeting. What does your person's living space and their working space look like? Who are their closest friends and family members? What kinds of foods do they like? What things are they proud of or confident about? What are they afraid of or insecure about? How have they been hurt? Again, you may not know the answers to many of these questions. That's okay. It is often very difficult to know another person well, even when you spend lots of time together. Remember, it might be very difficult for someone else to get to know you. That's okay too. Now take another breath and return your attention to the other person. Without judging yourself, do your best to answer or imagine answers for these final questions. What forms of affirmation, encouragement, interest, and support does this person offer to you or to other people they care about? How do they give love? Given their background, personality, and circumstances, what forms of affirmation, encouragement, interest, and support might that person most appreciate or benefit from right now? How might they want to be loved? Are you in a position to safely offer them some measure of that kind of care? If not, don't worry. Ask yourself if there's someone else who might be in a better position. That's it. That's enough for now. You've thought carefully about another person 
and that is the beginning of love. Take three more deep breaths and then slowly open your eyes and return to your life. Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.